0: Hey everybody, this is Dave Tilke, the creator of Dogman, and you're listening to The Great, Big, Beautiful Podcast. Well, we have one of those new talking machines. Now that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Progress is something we can't take for granted. Progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to work for it. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... I'm not often thinking of the adult reader, uh, uh, read-aloud kind of, but I do think of adults when I'm writing, because when I originally wrote Dired for a Kid, in the eight years I was working on it, the whole time I thought the book would end up in the humor section at the bookstore. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know there was a middle-grade section. (laughs) So I was trying to write one book that was really thick, my first draft was 1,300 pages long. I, I thought that people of all ages would, would read it. But I wasn't actually thinking of kids at all in that equation. I was just thinking about grown-ups. So when I, um, when I write now, I try to keep that in mind.
1: Here's your host, Jamie Green.
2: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Green. You can find the show online at gbbpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at thegbbpodcast. You can find me at the Roarbots, and we're also part of the Roarbots Podcast Network. You can find them on Twitter at Roarworthy. This week, Uh, I am flying solo, but it is my pleasure to bring you guys my conversation with yet another middle grade author superstar. This time, I had the distinct pleasure of talking to Jeff Kinney author of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. If you have any young readers in elementary school, you are no doubt aware of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. The 14th book in the uh, series just came out uh, last month. It's called Wrecking Ball. It is, um, like I said, it's the 14th, but it's not only the 14th book. There have been a few other spinoffs and uh, movie books and activity books so there's plenty to read if uh, your little one is just getting into Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and I have to say, they're—I mean—they're I mean, they're written for middle schoolers, but I think they're really funny too. I—I um, I, I don't recall if I mentioned this in my interview with Jeff, but we—my first exposure to Diary of a Wimpy Kid was on a road trip. We tend to bring along audiobooks on our road trips, and my son asked to bring along a few of his Diary of a Wimpy Kid ones, and we did, and we listened to it, and fittingly enough, the one that we listened to was uh, The Long Haul, uh, which is the ninth book, I believe, and that is about a road trip that uh, Greg Hefley and his family takes, and we, I think, were laugh- literally laughing out loud almost the entire book. It was hilarious. And, and we quickly realized, I think we only brought three of the books on that vacation. Um, and it wasn't nearly enough. We need we wanted to listen to all of them, my wife and I included. So they're great books. They're hilarious. Um, he has been writing them roughly one, uh, a year uh for the last 12 years or so uh and he as he says to me in this interview he has no plans to slow down so i know every book that comes out kids are are, are terrified that it might be the last one uh but uh jeff kinney has no plans to slow down he is going to just continue with the series maybe continue with the rowley jefferson series that he started uh who is greg's the main character's best friend um and uh, we'll see where it goes from there but you know 14 books out now that's not too shabby kids uh he is like i said he's a superstar um he commands full packed houses when he goes on on book tours and speaking tours and um he is one of those guys that you know kids will go crazy for he's a rock star for for middle grade readers at this point, before I jump into the interview, I want to just bring you, uh, I'm going to play a little clip of the audiobook for the very first book. Um, this is you know, just called Diary of a Wimpy Kid. This is how it all starts. So here you go. Take a listen.
3: First of all, let me get something straight. This is a journal, not a diary. I know what it says on the cover, but when mom went out to buy this thing, I specifically told her to get one that didn't say diary on it. Great. All I need is for some jerk to catch me carrying this book around and get the wrong idea. The other thing I want to clear up right away is that this was mom's idea, not mine. But if she thinks I'm going to write down my feelings in here or whatever, she's crazy. So just don't expect me to be all dear diary this and dear diary that. The only reason I agreed to do this at all is because I figure later on, when I'm rich and famous, I'll have better things to do than answer people's stupid questions all day long. So this book is going to come in handy.
2: And that was back in 2007. That was the very first book, um, and that's how it began. And he has just been going since then. The, the same basic conceit is there. He It is uh, Greg keeping a journal for himself, um, well actually he's keeping it for future generations when after he's famous so um, he won't have to answer all their questions they'll know what his life was like um, Greg over the 14 books and 12 years has not gotten any older so in that sense he is like many of the classic comic strip characters he's like Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes he's like Charlie Brown they just don't get over they are perennially um, where they are in what grade they are in and they go on summer vacation but they come back and they're still in the same grade um, so there's something there's something charming about that, and it keeps the characters fresh and uh, perennial for new readers who pick up the books years from now. So, however you guys listen to podcasts or download podcasts, whatever app, software, or program you use, hit subscribe. Um, make sure that these conversations end up in your inbox, in your feed, wherever you you grab podcasts. Um, make sure that we're there whenever we have new episodes come out and I will continue to bring you guys great conversations so until next time I am Jamie Green, this is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast and here is my conversation with Jeff Kinney Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time Uh, it's always great to talk to a fellow Marylander even if you haven't lived here in quite a while so welcome to the show
0: (laughs) thank you, I was very excited to see that 301 area very cool
2: (laughs) Um, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but it's an it's a logical place to start. But do you keep a journal now?
0: Do I keep a journal now? I wish I did. I just upgraded my Apple account to save every one of my emails firm now until the end of time, <laughs> and I figure that's going to have to do. But um, I I loved keeping a journal, and um, you know I I loved it that I that I took a snapshot of about three or four years of my life in my 20s, yeah. which is what ultimately inspired that before Kid. Yeah. kid.
2: Um, one of the things that marks Greg in the first few books uh, is that he's really not all that likable a character. He's kind of like a, you know, for lack of a better term, he's like, he's a little punk kid, you know, like parents of kids that age know exactly what I'm talking about. How much of an effort did you put into making him grow and learn from his actions and become more likable as as you wrote each
0: book in the series? I put no conscious effort into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny when I, I heard a grown-up uh, say to me, yesterday, that's what we children's authors call adults, grown-ups. Um, <laughs> she said, you know, I don't like Greg. I hadn't heard that in a long time. Yeah. And it kind of surprised me in the early days because Greg really is just a version of myself. So. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute! (laughs) In fact, when I said that on air yesterday, that Greg is just a version of myself, she then came and apologized to me. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that Greg is, I don't think of him as a punk kid. I think of him as a kid who is very mistaken in his desire to, to document his own life. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine if you at at age, say, 12 or 13 had a film crew following you around (laughs) and you were the subject of a reality show. I'm sure now looking back, you wouldn't say, boy, I'm really glad I did that. That was a really good idea. And to me, that's the central joke of Diary of a Wimpy Kid is that right out of the gate, Greg says, "Um, you know, one day I'll be rich and famous. I won't have time to answer people's stupid questions, like he doesn't realize yet that he's not bound for stardom, but the reader should. And so that's, you know, I've always seen that as as um, as, as the core of the humor of the books is that this kid doesn't realize that he's not yet a fully developed person. So I, I don't really think of him in the same way as being Bad or, or like a jerk or something yeah. like that. I think he's just undeveloped.
2: Yeah. Do you see him as a different character in Wrecking Ball than in those first few books?
0: I think that sometimes, well, Greg's always un, unhappy. If you look at the covers of the books, Greg's always unhappy, right. and usually his unhappiness is the is is because of things he's done to himself, uh, his smallness sometimes, and and then sometimes. The unhappiness is caused by circumstances that are beyond his control. And so that's what is happening in uh, Wrecking Ball is that, you know, there are things happening that are bigger than him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't see him as a different character. I see him as suffering different circumstances.
2: Just reacting to different events that's going on around him.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: exactly
2: um I know your original plan for the the story when you were first writing the, the, the what eventually became the first novel was to tell the story as a newspaper comic strip um, and the industry obviously had had different plans for you <laughs> um, but with the phenomenal success of the books and 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 now that you're so deep into this character and into this world have you ever thought about going back and doing a fully realized comic strip
0: Yeah, I've I've thought about it uh, briefly and and dismissed it. I I think um, you know my original goal was to become a newspaper cartoonist with a different character named Igdoof, who was my college character. Mm -hmm. And I spent about three years trying to break in. And when I couldn't, that's when I had the idea for Diary of a Be Kid. So I never thought of of Greg Heffley as becoming a a newspaper cartoonist character. I do think of my books as being like long form comics. So yeah. they're definitely rooted in, in comics and not just like an illustrated children's uh, series. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have thought about it from time to time, but that, that lifestyle is very difficult. I, I know a lot of um, cartoonists, real cartoonists, as I call them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who live and die by their deadlines. Yep. They always know how far ahead they are. And then they don't necessarily get that big moment where they get to release a work and then celebrate that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in the middle of a book tour. Yeah, yeah I was right going to say there's
2: no book tour for them.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, there there can be. They they release like compilations, but it's not the same. Yeah. Um, as what I'm getting to experience right now, so I'm very grateful for this path that I'm on. Yeah. I, I'd love to be able to split myself and do both, but this is this is good path for me to be honest.
2: Yeah. How, I mean, speaking of 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 that lifestyle and and taking a character and telling a story in that format how much of an influence was lincoln Peirce and big nate on the origins of greg Heffley and diary of wimpy kid
0: he was a big influence in terms of um being a friend and a mentor to me mm-hmm. i mean i was just a 19 year old kid uh who wrote to him and said hey Take a look at my work. What do you think? And really, I was just fishing for compliments. I wasn't really looking for what he gave me, which was you know piles of, and reams of of paper, uh, you know, telling me all the things I need to improve on. Um, but Lincoln, he was like a beacon for me. He at you know when I was nineteen, he was about twenty eight, and he was married. Um, you know, and and he was a cartoonist. Those those were the things that I wanted to be and um so, and he did give me some techniques that helped me to become a better cartoonist techniques I still use uh, to this day. He also sort of dissuaded me of some of the notions I had
1: mm-hmm. in
0: my cartooning. Basically, he taught me to simplify um, It's sort of coincidence that he has a middle school age kid, right. and I do too. Um, I wouldn't say there's a direct line between them, but I, I think there are definitely similarities in, in the characters,
2: yeah um based on that uh relationship that you guys had and you know the sort of i guess you could call it a mentor ment- mentor mentee relationship do you try to pay it forward and do that with other young and up-and-coming uh either cartoonists or authors
0: who are trying to break into the business i wish that i could say that i do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm, I'm trying to be a mentor to my kids you yeah. know raising, uh, two boys um in, and we, I, I get a, a lot of fan mail. I think I'm currently about four or five years behind on my <laughs> fan mail. I just, in fact, I just got a note from my team that says, congratulations, we're caught up to, you know, 2014 or something oh, like no. that. I'm like, so there may, there may be a very talented, uh, kid out there who's reaching out to me, uh, you know, and, and I'm not being responsive. And, and that's a big regret for me. I wish, um, I wish I could keep up. Um, but I, I sort of always have my, my eyes forward. And, and you know, we, the, the best that I can do is to, uh, get out on the road and meet, um, meet fans of the books and hopefully, uh, show them that, that writing and becoming an author and, and telling your own story is something that's, uh, that's desirable. So it, I, I might be, um, influencing somebody that's not, um, not quite there yet.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're 14 plus books into the series now. Um, you've obviously got your formula down. You are firmly in Greg's head, but do you ever find it difficult to sort of find that middle grade zone? I mean, we're, we we are of a similar age, and we're we're kind of far removed from middle school. Um, sure. What do you do to channel that that inner middle schooler?
0: Uh, I would say that you know Greg's attitudes are still pretty close to my own. I I think that Greg is his. These books are very similar to stand-up comedy. It's mm-hmm. you know the the mechanism for them is for Greg to uh, t- kind of turn a mirror towards the audience. Like if I was writing about a topic like staying in a hotel room, you know that's that's something that Jim Gaffigan writes about. You know every every comedian writes about that experience about um, you, you know all the particular particulars mm-hmm. of. Of staying in a hotel room, the funny things that you do when you're on your own. And that's a kind of humor. That's kind of what, what Greg is doing. He's, he's um, sort of validating kids' thoughts and maybe exposing them to new thoughts, um, letting them see things in a different way. So I think we're all sort of, as, as comedy writers, we're all working from the same material. It's just a, a character, a point of view we need to filter it through.
2: Yeah. Do you uh, think that you'll ever have Greg age out of middle school? My son, especially I, wants to know if he'll ever get to see them and, and get get to high school
0: all right never <laughs> he, he never will <laughs> sorry. sorry never <laughs> son. Right. He's, uh, you know the best thing about cartoon characters is that you, you can they're reliable yeah fact, they, they're not going to change uh, it's the rare comic that actually ages their yep. their characters um and then it's kind of weird you know you, you don't want to see Charlie Brown have. A second marriage, and saving <laughs> up for his four hundred and one k. You know, in, in fact, that's if you take a book like uh, Harry Potter, it's kind of interesting. It's like book one, he's maybe you know t- nine, 10, 11, somewhere in there, and then book two, he's he's one year older, and just because of that, you know that the story has to end. Yep. Because we want to read about this boy, we don't want to read about a, a, a man yeah and so that sort of that sort of predetermines uh you know the ending and you know he's gonna the book's gonna end when he's uh you know about eighteen seventeen eighteen and with uh comics like mine that they can go on and on because we our, our readers allow us that you know yeah. there's there's this sort of uh what is it suspension of disbelief yeah That's what it is yeah uh, which is great.
2: Yeah, no, my 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 son is 8 now and he uh he's like, "But I don't I don't I don't really get it because he goes to school, he's in 6th grade. <laughs> then there's a book where he's on summer vacation, and then the next book he goes back and he's still in 6th grade." <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> For him to learn about suspension.
2: <laughs> well, he just discovered <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes, and I tried to explain yeah. to it through that lens, and I was like, "Listen, Calvin was—you know—that story <laughs> lasted like 15 years or something, and he never got older. It's like that's just something <laughs> <Right>. that happens." <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> was that the talk?
2: <laughs> it was one of them. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, it—it it is very hard. To tell a story like that, where you age your characters, like Lynn Johnston is a great example. With yeah. better or worse, like she managed to do it, but that's—it's probably the only example I can think of where it worked, where where the yeah. where, where is she, you know the person actually tried to do it. I can't even think of yeah. another example except for maybe Harry Potter, where it was over told over this really extended period of time in the characters aged and it worked.
0: <laughs> yeah. Poor Farley. He, he, oh. he went on and on He <laughs> lived for 20 years at the same age. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden the restraints were taken yep. off and, yeah, poor, poor dog. Poor
2: guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for you personally, what is the appeal of writing for this audience for writing for young readers?
0: Uh, that's an interesting question. I think in one sense, it's, you know here i am I, my first book came out in 2007 mm-hmm. and now it's 2019 so 12 years later so truly when my first book came out these kids weren't born mm-hmm. and so i think part of the appeal is that my audience seems to sort of regenerate <laughs> um instead of age with me which is which is just great um and also, I like a kid's world. I like a uh, uh, kid's attitude. Um, you know, so it's fun to be in touch with that age group. And I started writing these books when I was 28. I'm 48 now. Um, you know, I really do feel like I could go another 20 years, hopefully. Wow. And yeah. wait, actually, that doesn't exist.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Somebody needs to put me out of my misery <laughs> so far, like, <laughs> oh, um, stop. Gone there. Maybe you could edit that out. Um, yeah, I it just it's fun writing for kids. You know, it's fun being in this world. I I think that the kids, that kid lit um uh situation it, it, it's a friendly bunch. Mm-hmm. Um very supportive. I've heard that in the adult all writing world it's a little bit more cutthroat. Mhm. So, it's great. I've got a bookstore, and you know, authors come in. I love to meet them. They're much more talented than me. It's great. I could do this forever.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the other unique aspects of writing for this age group, I think, particularly, is that kids tend to read books that they like again and again and again. I know. Again, I keep going back to my son because you know he's the he's the little wimpy kid fan, um, but okay. he's read most of the books multiple times. I've lost count, um, okay. and. Does that awareness on your part that kids will read these stories again and again, does that change how you tell a story? Does it, you know, does it change how you set up the joke?
0: It does because I can't make the books too plot heavy or, um, you know, let's say I had a mystery, for example, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where there's only one solution to the mystery. I don't think that really invites rereading. So I really need to focus on the humor the jokes, um, you know, I was a bathroom reader as a kid. I definitely had my books that I mm-hmm. uh, went to again and again, and it's because they were funny. um I also like Calvin and Hobbs the far side uh you know there there's a delight in in rediscovering or re uh you know walking back over the path that you've walked before yeah. um, and, and there's a, you know it's a it's the idea of mastery in a way um so i I like that it does it does affect the way that I write though
2: yeah um Another question is, I mean, this, this, hmm, how do I say this? uh, When you write for middle grade, um, a lot of the books also some get tend to be read aloud by parents or other adults. Um, Yeah. Does that affect how you tweak the language to like, do you you intentionally do things for the for the grownups in the books to make the adults who might be reading the story aloud to force them to act goofy or to do a silly voice or to, to act outside of what might be
0: comfortable. That's a good question. I, I'm, I'm not often thinking of the adult reader uh, or read aloud kind of reader. Yeah. Um, I, but I do think of adults when I'm writing because when I originally wrote tired, won't be kid I, you know, in the eight years I was working on it. The whole time I thought the book would end up in the humor section at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was a middle grade. Section. <laughs> Um, and so I was thinking of my father, I was thinking of myself as a reader. Mm-hmm. I was trying to write one book that was really thick. In fact, my first draft was 1300 pages long. Whoa. Uh, I wanted yeah, to write one, one book and, um, I wanted it to, uh, I, I thought that people of all ages would, would read it, mm-hmm. but I wasn't actually thinking of kids at all in that equation. I was just thinking about grown up. So when I um, when I write now, I try to keep that in mind. You know, it was my publisher who surprised me and said, "You've you've written a children's series." Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> this is not think, one book. <laughs> yeah, there was some comedian who said, "I wrote a children's book, but I didn't do it on purpose," and that, that's exactly what happened to me.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Um, y- you know the the style of of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, where it looks like a journal with with drawings and sketches in there. That's obviously um, one of the great appeals of the, of the series and has also been copied and mimicked by a lot of other authors, authors and a lot of other publishers. Um, but I talked to Mo Willems for the show, and he talks about how when he draws a picture book or a book a series such as Elephant and Piggy, he has deceptively simple in quotes, character designs, and almost no background and he does yeah. that because he wants to give kids that inroad. He wants kids to give some he wants to give them something that's easy for them to copy and draw on their own. He wants to inspire that artistic ability inside of them. Did that yeah. factor into your artistic
0: choices at all uh actually yeah i'm <laughs> I was asking if you were um I was wondering if you were asking if I copied Mo oh, No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a long winded way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, that's a that's a good question. I am not thinking about kids mimicking uh my my work, mm-hmm. but I do you know what I learned after I failed in becoming a newspaper cartoonist is that cartooning really is the art of uh, simplicity and i was trying to make some fancy cartoons and when i started drawing as greg heffley i i really simplified things mm-hmm. and I, you know i ha- i had that idea of use as few lines as possible to make the biggest impact and it took me a long time to realize that that's actually what cartooning is mm-hmm. so even if i have a really complex drawing like i have a book called the meltdown with a two page spread mm-hmm. of a massive snowball fight right. i'm still using only what i think the minimum you know is to get the point across um so i think probably there's an intersection there between what a kid can do and mimic Mm -hmm. and you know my intent as a cartoonist to to keep things simple but it's not uh, done intentionally it's not done so that kids can can mimic my work I,
2: i think even though it's not intentional i think it still has that effect though i think you're still encouraging kids to draw and express yeah. their creativity, you know, whether it's through drawing their everyday life or keeping a journal. You know, I think that it is very inspiring yeah. to read something like that and think, "Hey, I can do this too." Even though Greg, yeah. like you said, might be misguided, it's still you know a way for kids to get their feelings and emotions out.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I have seen a lot of kids, you I know, mean, create some journal pages of their own mm-hmm. uh, to tell their own story. And That's exciting to me because um, I, I love book. Books by Beverly Cleary and uh, Judy Bloom. I really like Freckled Juice. I like these stories that were realistic fiction, realistic humorous fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very grounded in in real life. Um, And I think that there's a real appetite for those types of stories. We we went through a, a long period in you know here and around the world where every, every, uh, successful kid's story had to be, um, fantasy in it. You know, often the story was, you know, a child finds out they're the, you know, they're the, they're the chosen one in some, in some fashion. And those stories are great. They're, those are windows into other worlds. Uh, they're aspirational, but I think we need our mirrors too. We need to see ourselves and our characters.
2: Absolutely. Um, I I think, even though your books obviously have broad appeal among all kids, they still sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they still sometimes get pegged as quote-unquote boys' books. Um, What is your response when people still try to categorize books by gender, and why is that still happening?
0: Yeah, I think it happens, unfortunately, more to um, women writing for for kids than Mm -hmm. it does for men writing to kids, which is you know completely unfair i i am friends with uh a number of writers who write uh, about you know female characters and then and then in the audience they'll get a question why don't you write a book for a boy right. you know i think it's uh it's pretty insulting um i'm i'm lucky enough um you know to be writing a character that doesn't you know the, my my readers don't seem to have a gender bias um I do think that that girls read more easily than boys, especially at this age at the, you know at this eleven twelve year old age group um so I think girls are more open to um reading books about about boys, but I think the whole landscape is really changing. I think um people are becoming more open to different points of view uh reading about kids who aren't their race and gender and um or religion. Um, so I think it as the country um diversifies um that and as teachers and librarians become more aware of this um and aware of the importance of of, of exposing kids to characters that aren't like the leaders mm-hmm. I think that that will change over time over decades really yeah um,
2: you mentioned the bookstore that you own. I wanted to quickly ask you about that. Did you really know what you were getting into when you opened the store? <laughs>
0: Um, in a way, yeah, I had that field of dreams vision. You know, that it, 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 I was putting a bookstore in the middle of Plainville, Massachusetts, yeah. population 8,000. So I had to be a little bit foolish uh, to get into it. <laughs> I think that what I didn't realize it was the scale of it. the the um, The number of authors we'd have come and the number of people we'd have come emphasize the size of my staff. Like at, at first I planned on three or four staff members. Um and now we've got, you know, rotating twenty five say.
1: Wow.
0: Um at, at any time in the building. There there might be thirteen, fourteen, fifteen people working. Um and then we get really the best authors in the world. Um, you know, we had Tui Sutherland the other day, we had Henry Winkler a few weeks ago, Sarah Desson, um, RJ Palacio, uh, Megan McDonald on and on. And it's uh, that's what I couldn't anticipate is that, you know, I, I'd say we've probably had about 15 celebrity authors mm-hmm. who, you know, somehow have <laughs> – their publicist has told them it's a good idea to come to Plainville, Massachusetts. <laughs> and I'm sure they're looking at the side of that building with giant like Plainville on the side saying – what has my career? become? Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's always a good time. We always draw a crowd uh, every time we have a uh, an author event where there's an author who's a known uh, brand. We sell out inside of five minutes, and so it's uh it yeah that's a, that's the part that I couldn't have anticipated.
2: Yeah, I, I, run writing and running a business like a bookstore have entirely different sets of challenges,
0: as you know. <laughs> Do you find
2: yeah. that one has become an escape for the other?
0: Um, that's a good question. I, I feel like they're really integrated in a way because the you know I work in the place. I work in this upstairs, almost like it's a telephone booth. And then, you know, I'll, and then all of a sudden an author will come through and I'll j- jump out of the room and, and mm-hmm. talk to them. And, and maybe sometimes I'll go up on stage with the author and then I'll go back to my work. Um, so it, it, they're melded together in ways that I, I don't think I fully understand yet.
2: Yeah. Um. My My son wants to know if we're going to see more Rowley Jefferson books.
0: Yeah, I wrote uh, Diary an Awesome Friendly Kid uh, in April. It came out in April. And I really enjoyed writing in that voice. Um, I was surprised. I, I I thought it was sort of a lark, but I enjoyed writing in Raleigh's voice. I I like uh, the character. I think Diary of an Awesome Friendly Kid is a a ridiculous title, and <laughs> I like it. I like it as a brand. Um, so we're gonna have more awesome friendly books for sure.
2: Awesome. Um, yeah. how about books from other characters' perspectives?
0: You know, I think that I could, I could envision a a manny picture book. Yes. I don't know if it would destroy my <laughs> my you know my readership, as they don't want to go down to like third, third you know grade three and four, or I'm sorry, age three and four. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, maybe we'll see that you know way down the road.
2: Yeah, that would be good. Jeff Smith did that with Bone. He had the Bone picture book. Uh, smiley smiley's (laughs) dream book i think is what it was but uh, yeah that's actually what my son said he said i want to see something from manny (laughs) something that (laughs) i would like like to see um and i don't know not that i don't know i know it probably wouldn't sell too well but it's a story written from greg's (laughs) mom's point of view she (laughs) seems to keep just getting the short end of the stick because she's presented from greg's middle school perception of her and i would love to see her break free of that (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. In the movies, she gets to break free a little bit more. And we're, you know, we're working on some more, uh, some streaming stuff now. Uh, I think you'll see, you'll see a more fully realized mom, but I agree, you know, in, in this book, uh, you know, she, she's the one that keeps the family together and she's, uh, you know, (laughs) She's the one that's going to buy uh, kids uh, books only for their birthday. And, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's the object of ridicule. I think she's the object of, um, I, I, you know, she seems real to me. She, you know, I, I have, I had a mom and I have a wife and, and there's a lot of intersection between the two in terms of the way uh, they parent. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I like her as a character. Yeah. Can
2: you talk about that streaming? What, what's coming?
0: Yeah, I don't know how much I can say. I guess, I guess, uh, I guess it's not fully out there, and I could get myself into trouble. But I will say that, you know, uh, you know, Disney bought Fox, and so we'll be part of the Disney ecosystem in some way.
2: Oh yeah, that's so. I have not even heard that, so that's super exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. <laughs>
2: um, and finally, I know you got to run, but I, I know you have met thousands of, of young readers during your career. You mentioned the enormous backlog of fan mail that you have. Um, and I'm sure kids come up to you at, at events, on book tours all the time, including some who want to be writers or artists themselves. What advice do you give to those young kids?
0: Yeah, I think I stole this from somebody else. Um, but, you know, I, I would say um, I say to kids that if you want to become a, a writer, you need to become a great reader. You need to read as much as possible, especially in your genre. Um, you know, I think constantly about the 10,000 hour rule, with uh, you, know, uh, you know, by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in, in the book Outliers, he says you need to become you need to put in 10,000 hours to master anything to become an expert. And I really think that that's what a writer does to become an expert uh, a writer. Eventually, is that they read a ton. Um, so the best ones have read a lot.
2: This has been The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com and on Twitter and Facebook at The GBB Podcast. Thanks again for subscribing and listening. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at The RoarBots. Take care.